Well, this morning we're going to continue in Romans 12, and uh, we probably won't get through our outline just because we have a, a brief message time this morning with communion and the missions update and all. But we're going to continue on, and, and we've been looking at the transforming power of the gospel, and the gospel expects a new way of thinking about our gifts. And we're here in Romans chapter 6, or Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8. And so I want to read those verses for us. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8. It says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy, prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts, in his exhortation, and the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So we've looked at these, um, began looking at these gifts last week, and we did a little uh, short um, defense of cessationism, which believes that some of the spiritual gifts are no longer in operation today. Those, the sign gifts, the wonder gifts, the idea that a human being can be gifted to go around and heal people physically like they did in the time of Christ. There's people that claim that, but I have yet to see it in all my years of experience. Where Not that God doesn't heal. God still heals today, and we pray for healing um, all the time for people. But he hasn't specifically gifted individuals with that gift of healing where they could just go into the hospital and clear it out. Because they're healing people, as they did in the New Testament. Uh, or the gift of languages or tongues, as it's known. Uh, we talked all about that last week. And so if you're interested in that, you can listen to the message last week. But we started off with three points. We said we all have some form of spiritual gift. All believers have a spiritual gift, at least one. And these lists in the Bible are not meant to be exhaustive. Now, if you're interested in kind of being pointed in the right direction for your spiritual gift, there are tools that you can use to do that. But you have to be careful with those tools because I know some people, I've given people a kind of a spiritual gifted, giftedness test and, or assessment, they call it. And we have those. That if you're interested in those, you can ask for one. We'll give you one. It's just a bunch of questions. And it just kind of asks, well, do you, you know, enjoy doing this? Do you enjoy being around people or being by yourself? Do you enjoy teaching? Do you enjoy? And it, it kind of takes all that information that you put into this assessment and then it kind of points you in the right direction where you may be gifted. It's not a for sure thing. And you got to be careful when you use those things because some people take them as gospel. Oh, I, I, I have this gift now, you know. And Well, they may not. They may have just not answered the questions right on the assessment. So we, we have to understand these gifts, these lists are not exhaustive, first of all. Secondly, and then thirdly, that the gifts are given to us by the Holy Spirit. These aren't something that we can, you know, just give to ourselves. These are something that God gives each individual. And he gives them according to his purpose, to his plan for their life. So it's not necessarily good to be looking at somebody who may have a certain gift and you're pining after that gift. And I, oh, I only got this gift. All these gifts are just that. They're gifts by God to you specifically. So if God were to come up to you and give you a gift and you were to unwrap it, you, you shouldn't have the attitude, oh, I don't like this. You know, this is the all-knowing God who created you. And he knows best what you need, when you need it. And so he's giving all of us at least one gift, if not more. I think a lot of people have a mixture of gifts. And that's where it's important that we don't uh, dial down on, on those gift assessment tests too much to the point of where we're, you know, locking it in. And, well, all I do is teach. I don't serve. I don't do anything else. That's not my gift. You know, you're not allowed to say that. Uh, that's not the idea that the New Testament puts forth. It's, it's, it's important to remember that almost all these spiritual gifts have corresponding commands tied to them as believers. And it's, it's important to understand, he says there, that we should exercise these gifts in proportion to our faith. And we talked about that last week. Um, and so we can't opt out of doing certain things within the body of Christ because 
we want to claim, well, that's not my gift. <laughs> I'm not gifted that way. Um, there is the gift of exhortation. And some people have that God-given gift to exhort other people. We'll be talking about that today. But that doesn't mean that we should not exhort one another in the things of God. Because the Bible commands us to do that. It doesn't matter whether you have the gift of exhortation or not. Or there is the gift of teaching. Think about that for a second. Those of you who have been parents or are parents, you know what? You're instructed to teach your children. You can't say, well, that's not my gift. Sorry. You can't do that. And so there's commandments tied to all these gifts. Um, There's some people who are very gifted in evangelism. You look at somebody like Ray, Ray Comfort or, or Dan with the local street ministry, the guy that goes out on street evangelism. There's some people that are just extremely gifted evangelists. They just, that's all they think about. But you know what? We're all commanded to share Christ with the lost, whether you have, quote, gift of evangelism or not. There's the gift of service that we'll be looking at. But we're all called to serve. We're called to serve the body of Christ. There's the gift of mercy, but we all have to show mercy to the suffering, the Bible says. And there's also the gift of giving, which we'll be looking at today as well. But we're all required to be generous with what God has entrusted to us. So we all should be looking at the body of Christ, the church, and looking for needs. And we should also be quick to help, no matter what. No matter what our spiritual giftedness is. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I was serving with a pastor and told the story before, but we were in the fellowship hall and he was kind of new to the church and I'd been there for a couple years and so I knew all the people and there was an older lady getting her food at the, at the potluck and she dropped her plate and I was standing over by the kitchen window talking to the pastor and I went to help her clean up and he grabbed me by the shirt. I'll never forget this. And he goes, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm going to go help you know, Mrs. Jones clean up her. Oh, no, we're pastors. Somebody will do it. We don't do that. And I'm like, what? You know, this was news to me because the, the pastor that served there before this pastor, I mean, he did everything for everybody. And that was kind of my mentor. And so I was just geared toward that. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, no, he goes, hey, we're, you know, we, we teach and we do that. Other, and sure enough, somebody came over and helped Mrs. Jones. But I just thought, I never want to be like this guy. I just, that, that, I just lost a lot of respect right there in that, in that thing. And, and see, a lot of times, just because you're gifted in a certain way, it doesn't give you the excuse not to help. You know, and I've been literally appalled sometimes when I've, been in certain churches over the years where things like that have gone on. You see, you know, maybe a, maybe it's a potluck or a conference or whatever, and someone spills something or someone drops, and nobody gets up to help. It's just amazing to me. And, you know, we should be the first to at least offer and say, hey, you know what, let me give you a hand. You know, we can't sit there and say, well, my giftedness is teaching. I don't serve. You know, that's, that's the wrong attitude to have. And so if you're ever around something like that, if something happens, at least offer to clean up, to help out, to do whatever you need to do. And there's a, there's a balance there. Now, if you have the gift of teaching and God has called you to a specific role, then you shouldn't be always mopping up the fellowship hall or whatever, because then you're not being responsible with the giftedness that God has given to you. But you can't use that giftedness as an excuse not to serve in any form or fashion. And some people think when they come to church, they're here to be served. And that's just the wrong mentality. That's totally the wrong mentality. When you walk in these doors Sunday morning, you shouldn't be here to be served. You shouldn't be here just to hear a good message or to hear your song played or whatever. You should be here to serve somebody. And you should be praying about that Saturday night. Lord, when I go to church tomorrow, give me a servant's heart. Help me maybe to say a kind word to somebody that needs it or to, to assist somebody coming in or coming up the stairs or carrying something, whatever it might be. But if we have that kind of mentality then God will honor that, and that's how the body should operate. And so last week, we looked at this first gift, the gift of prophecy. 
And we talked a little bit about this. And we said that the, the, the gift of prophecy is, is basically twofold. Before the canon of scripture was completed, the gift of prophecy did include the ability of men who were under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to actually give out revelation from God directly. So you see that a lot in the Old Testament, but you see it early on in the New Testament before the canon, before the Bible was completed. Because they, God had to communicate to his people and he did that through prophets. And uh, it deals basically with the inspiration of truth. It's the public proclamation of divine truth, both revelatory and non-revelatory. Now today, you might consider that the the gift of, of preaching, someone who's proclaiming the word of God, okay, either behind a pulpit or in a Sunday school or wherever it might be. Um, today, it's probably, uh, or it is, not revelatory in its nature because the canon is, is closed. God has completed the Bible. And uh, in Hebrews, it tells us that, that in the past, God spoke to us in a myriad of fashions through different people, but now he has spoken to us. It's completed. So, you know, I can't come in here Sunday morning and say, yeah, this morning I was, I was shaving and God gave me this new truth. And uh, here's what it is. Thus saith the Lord. You know, that's adding really to the word of God. And that's how false teachers get around staying within the covers of the Bible. They kind of have this claim. They have this direct link to God and somehow that he whispers in their ear all the things that people that he wants people to hear. And that's just not according to what scripture says. And so that was the first one we looked at last week. And you can get that message online through the app or whatever. The second one here, it says, verse 7, if service in our serving. Now, Paul is listing out these gifts. And like I said, this is not an exhaustive gift list. Somebody asked me last week, well, why did he list these? I don't know. Because the Holy Spirit told him to. I have the slightest idea. You know, because there are gifts in other lists, in Corinthians and other places, that are not listed here. So, you know, why God did it this way, I don't know. But he did. And so we're just going to take the gifts here listed out for us. And so this next one is the gift of, of service. Um, it comes from the Greek word where we get the English word deacon. All right. It's somebody who serves. It's a general term for ministry. Um, and it means ministry of all kinds. It's the, the, the practical application of the word of God to daily living, you might, might say. It's, it's a voluntary service in contrast to someone being told what to do. People with this giftedness just love to serve. They just can't get enough of it. Um, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said, This is the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister or to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So now to some degree, we're all called, whether we're gifted specifically for this or not, to be involved in service, as we just talked about. And so this verse not only sets before us this kind of twofold division of the gospel, the son of man giving his life in service and the son of man giving his life in sacrifice, but it also perfectly illustrates what it is meant by ministering or serving. And so just as Jesus Christ, when he came to earth and was incarnate in a human, be- in a human body and daily he taught, And live before others. That's what we're called to do. And you notice there it says. If service in his serving. Okay. And um, in Acts chapter 6. We see the example. Of God raising up. Individuals within the church. Who have the gift of service. Uh, In Acts chapter 6. Verses 3 and 4. It says that these, these first deacons. Or these first servants. In the church were men of good reputation, full of spirit, full of the spirit and of wisdom. And what was their, their calling? Well, they were called upon because as the church was growing early on, you know, they didn't have a fellowship committee that cooked them food. They didn't have all that. So a lot of that fell upon the apostles themselves. 
And they said, we're not really called to do this. I mean, we're supposed to be teaching the people. We're supposed to be in prayer. We're supposed to be doing more of these spiritual elements. And so we need to get some guys that are able to oversee the feeding of these people. Because there were thousands of people that needed to be dealt with. And so they were put in charge of providing food for the widows. And the reason they did that is so that they could free up the apostles to devote themselves, the Bible says there, to prayer and the ministry of the word. See, any church at all has servants within it. Now, there are some churches that have the official title of deacon. They have a board of deacons. Um, You know, we recognize servants within our body and our church is full of people who are called to serve. You know, when we leave here after church, we go over to the fellowship hall and there's food. Today, you know what it's going to be? Dry tip. So, yeah, I just get one. I I just lost you, right? I'm not. Let's just pray and go eat the tri tip. No, can't do that. But it's important to understand that you know what? That food you walk over there, everything's set up nice. It doesn't just happen. You know, nobody just blinks their eyes and you know this isn't you know dream a genie kind of thing. And you know, boy, the food just is there. No, there's people that willingly take time out of their Friday, their Thursday, their Friday, their Saturday to prepare this feast for us every week. And see, we should be thankful to that. We should be, you know, we, it shouldn't be something that we expect. Um, so service is simple. It's a straightforward gift, and it's very broad in its application. Um, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28, in that list, there's a gift entitled the gift of helps. And there's some people who, and it kind of a, it might be a, a, a kind of a similar gift because it, it really has the same idea that there are people that just want to help, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, I'm down here during the week and I'll hear somebody, I'm like, what are you doing? You know, oh, I just came down to do this or do that or whatever, just on their own time, they're serving the body of Christ in their own quiet way. And there's people that clean the thing. and I mean, it's just amazing. And so it's, it's neat to see that people who serve in the finances and in different ministries, whether it's Sunday school or fellowship or, you know, men's, women's ministry, all these things don't just happen. It takes people who are desiring to use their gift of service. And the gift certainly applies beyond the office of deacon or deaconess, as some churches call it. But it has the idea to just be available to help people. And like I said, we're all called to do that. But some people are more given to that, more prone to that than others because they're supernaturally gifted by God to do that. Well, the next verse here, or the next uh, uh, gift, the gift of prophecy, the gift of service, is the gift of teaching. And this emphasizes really the interpretation of the truth. It says one who teaches, and, and that, that word, diakonos, kind of has the idea, the act of teaching. It refers to what is taught as well as to the act of teaching it. And so there's a, there's a twofold meaning there. And so it deals with the interpretation of Truth, the gift of teaching. The, the teacher is someone who would be diligent to study the word of God, compare scripture with scripture, come up with some good principles of exegesis and hermeneutics and homiletics and analytics and put everything together in a message. And we have several men within our body who are gifted in this area. We have several women in our body who are gifted in this area. They just enjoy teaching. And that's a real blessing. Um, that gift of teaching is, is listed high in the enumeration of gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. And the reason it is is because it edifies the whole body. Okay? And that's a very important point to make. The teacher's task is to set forth the fundamental truths of the Bible for the building up and the edification of the saints. That's what a teacher does. And it's pretty straightforward. We don't need to really dig into this more than that. Uh, The Christian who teaches is divinely gifted. They have a a special ability to, by God, to really present and to understand God's word in an understandable way and then communicate that to others. Um, The primary difference between, you might wonder, what's the difference between 
Because you said prophecy is proclaiming the word of God. What's the difference between teaching and prophecy? Um, It's really the distinction between the ability to proclaim the word of God and the ability to give systematic and regular instruction to the word of God. There are some men who are very gifted prophets. They can get up and, and, you know, just really give a solid message. They're just their personality. Everything just wants you to, to, you know, it just commands you to listen to them. And everything from the, the tone of their voice to the way they proclaim. I mean, it's amazing. But some of those guys, you can hear them teach in one church and you go to the next te- church and what are they teaching? They're, they're teaching the same thing. And they're teaching the same message. That's just how God has gifted them. And see, there's nothing wrong with that. They're, they're called to be that prophetic voice. Um, and there's some people that have both the gift of teaching and the gift of prophecy. Um, but the earliest church was characterized by regular teaching. It, it tells us that in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they daily sought to be taught in the word of God. And this gift of teaching could apply to maybe a teacher in a, at a seminary or a Christian college, or maybe you're a teacher in our Sunday school. Um, there's certain people that are gifted to do this, to teach God's truth. And that's really part of the Great Commission, right? It says in Matthew chapter 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, what? Teaching them. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now that command applies to all of us. So all of us need to be involved in some form of teaching. Whether it's husbands teaching their wives or you know, mothers teaching their children. Whatever it might be. There's always some form of teaching that goes on in our lives. But there are certain individuals who are supernaturally gifted. Uh, later on in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul charges Timothy. And he says this, this young pastor. Paul is talking to this young pastor. He says, and the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men. And then it says this, who will be able to what? To teach others also. See, this is kind of the template for the church. It's the template of discipleship. You know, the template of the church is not for people to come to church on Sunday and just drink in everything. And that's it. And then come back next week, drunk on your theology, and drink in some more. That's not what the template of the church is. The template of the church is when we gather together on a Sunday, we are building each other up in the body of Christ. And the reason we're doing that is because then we go and we find somebody who knows less than we do. And we say, hey, let me help you with that. And we entrust to them the knowledge that we've been entrusted with. It's basic discipleship. It's teaching others in the ways of Christ. Barnabas had the gift. He ministered in Antioch alongside of Paul. It says there in Acts chapter 15, verse 35... They were teaching and preaching. So they're two different things. With many others also the word of the Lord. Also in Acts chapter 18, verse 24 and 25, it says, A certain Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man. So he had the ability to stand in front of people and and communicate eloquently. Had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. See, just because you have the gift of teaching, that doesn't make you a great teacher. Because it depends what you're teaching, right? If you're teaching wrongly, if you're, if you're not teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, then we may have a problem. That doesn't mean you don't have the gift. It just means that you got to do some homework and, and get on the right page and teach according to what the scripture has commanded us. Jesus was both a preacher and a teacher. As a matter of fact, he just confounded people. When he taught, when he spoke, people were just like, whoa. (laughs) Never heard anything like it before. Even after his resurrection, he continued to teach. In Luke chapter 24, when he joined the disciples, you remember on the road to Emmaus, it says this, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. 
And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? See, that's what teaching is. It's taking somebody and explaining the scriptures. You know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. Just find someone who knows less than you. And you can explain what you know to them. That's what teaching is. That's what discipleship is. And here he uses different words, but they're, they're, they're really synonyms of that word, that Greek word, diosko, that speaks of teaching. Here he uses the word explained and the idea of, of explaining or opening up. You know, and sometimes when you hear someone teach who's very gifted, you know, you'll sit there and you'll listen and then you'll go, wow, I never saw that before. Why? Because they're opening up the scriptures to you. They're showing you new things. It's not that it's not there, but maybe you just didn't look at it that way before. So it's a systematic teaching of the word of God. That's really the primary role, the primary function of a pastor teacher. You know, he's not to be the CEO of the church. He's, he's to be the individual who hopefully expounds the word of God faithfully to the people. As a matter of fact, as an elder, you're required to do that. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, it says that elders are required to teach. They're, they're required to hold fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with teaching, that he may be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. That's in Titus. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says to Timothy, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. That's so important. And for the modern church to say, well, you know, we don't, you know, we'd rather teach something else other than the word of God, you know, or, or we just kind of have a big celebration on Sunday mornings and maybe the pastor can get up for 10 minutes and give a little devotion. That's not teaching. Okay. It's not teaching when you go to a Bible study and you sit in a circle and you read a verse and then every, you say, well, what does that mean to you? Oh, that means this. Okay, next. Well, that means this. And then you go all the way around. Well, that was nice. Let's go to the next verse. And no one tells you what the verse means. Okay, that's really infuriating to me as a teacher. I look at that and I go, wow, how could you do that? All right, that's not a good approach. And so it's important, this gift of teaching. And we're in a church that's blessed with many people who are gifted in this area. And and we, we praise the Lord for that. The next verse is the gift of Exhorting. Now remember, we, we broke these verses, these, these gifts down into two groups. Those gifted to expound the word of God and those gifted to expand the word of God. So we're still under the, the, the expounding of the word of God. And so we see here the gift of exhorting. It emphasizes the intention of truth. It says here, the one who exhorts. And I think that that's, that's important in his exhortation. Uh, it's an interesting when you do the word study here. The one who exhorts, this word exhort is parakaleo, which is the same meaning, para and kaleo. It literally has the, the idea of calling someone alongside of someone else. Uh, it's used of the Holy Spirit. The paraclete, okay, the one who comes alongside us. Um, Exhortation is often addressed to the conscience and the heart. You say, what's the difference between teaching and, 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 and prophecy and then exhortation? Well, exhortation is, is you're addressing somebody's heart. You're addressing somebody's conscience. Whereas teaching, you're addressing more their mind, their thinking. Okay, you're giving them facts. Uh, in Pennsylvania, we had several fireplaces in our home. And I remember in the wintertime, one of my jobs was to go around and to take uh, what we called as the, the poker. <laughs> and and we'd take this, this metal stick kind of thing. And you could turn the logs and you could stir up the, the, the coals and then you'd throw another log on there. But I loved taking that thing, sticking it in there and, you know, just kind of flame up a little bit. It would be kind of cool as a little kid. You, that was one of my jobs. I had to keep the fires going. Well, what was that doing? Okay, it was stirring up those smoldering embers. Why? So they would burst back into flame and they would start the new log that you just put on there into uh, flames as well. 
That's really the, the gift. That's an illustration of someone who has the gift of exhortation. They're there to stir up the conscience of God's people. So that when you come to the truth of the word of God, it's not just some abstract thing that you're, you're studying on Sunday. But it's also worked out in a very practical, down-to-earth, living kind of way. And so the person who has this gift of exhortation, um, he really is, is coming alongside others with the idea to advocate, to, to be a comforter, to be a helper. All those are kind of related to the Spirit of God. When Jesus referred to the, the Spirit of God, he used this word. He referred to him as a helper. He said another helper on occasion will come. Um, in First John chapter 2, we just finished up our study on First John. We're starting Second John, by the way, on Wednesday night. But in First John chapter 2, verse 1, John uses this word translated advocate referring to Christ. Okay, and so this gift of exhortation encompasses ideas of advising, of pleading with people, encouraging, warning. Sometimes it's strengthening, sometimes it's comforting people. You know, I, I've run into people that think, oh, they have the gift of exhortation, and all they're doing is they're constantly beating everody over the head with a stick. I got the gift of exhortation, you know, you're doing this wrong. And they think that's what the gift of exhortation is. That's not what the gift of exhortation is. That doesn't sound very comforting to me. Um, now, you're able, if you have the gift of exhortation, to share the truth in a very practical way with people. And sometimes that doesn't feel good, I'll be honest with you, for them or you, <laughs> sharing it. But the gift is used to admonish the church as a whole to the obedience to the word of God. And so we have to remind ourselves that it's not just negative information pointing out Maybe what somebody's doing wrong. Oh, I got, I got the gift of exhortation. I got to straighten this brother out. You know, uh, it's not that. It's maybe seeing someone who's discouraged or frustrated or whatever in some form of need and coming alongside of them in some way or fashion and encouraging them with the word of God. That's really what this gift is. The gift may be exercised in helping someone carry a burden that is too heavy for them to carry alone. Uh, Paul and Barnabas were exercising the ministry of exhortation. In Acts chapter 14, verses 21 and 22, the Bible says they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. All right, so they're not excusing it. They're not coming along and saying, oh, you know, here, let me help you put a Band-Aid. No, the gift of exhortation points out the fact that, you know what, there are going to be tribulations, but you know what, we have to go through the tribulations in order to enter the kingdom of God. So hang in there. It's that kind of a, a message. Uh, the ministry is reflected in Paul's charge to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, where he says, reprove, rebuke, what? Exhort, he says. With great patience and instruction. And that's key. <laughs> if, if you're going to reprove, rebuke, and exhort people in an uh, impatient kind of way, that's not honoring to the Lord. And so sometimes you can see where these gifts kind of meld together. And sometimes you need more than one person to help you out. Because other people are gifted in other ways. Um, it's the ministry of exhortation, which Hebrews writes, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. He says, consider how to stimulate one another, right? To love and good deeds, not forsaking your own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And then a little later on in Hebrews chapter 13, he closes off the epistle and he says, Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so the one who is exhorting is sharing 
the word of God with people who, who need to be encouraged. And they're doing it in such a way that it is a comfort. But sometimes it's hard to do. Because people don't like to be exhorted in general. You know, uh, sometimes when you're not feeling good, you don't want somebody to come along. Come on, get out of that. You, know, you just kind of want to wallow in, in what you're involved in. And so, you know, a person who's gifted with exhortation sees that and comes along and tries to pick you up and encourage you. It calls believers to obey and follow the truth. uh, To live as Christians are supposed to live. Well, the next gift here, we move on to the gifts that expand the word of God. Maybe we will get through our outline today. The gifts that expand the word of God. Well, the first one here is the gift of giving. The gift of giving. Yes, there is a gift of giving. Um, The work of God can be extended by our giving. It says they're the one who gives. They're the one who contributes in his generosity. In his generosity. Um, Didomi is the word there. And here it's used used with the little uh, preposition meta in front of it. Which means really giving. This isn't just giving. This is like mega giving. This is somebody who's really, really gifted at doing this. Um, It has the idea of sharing and imparting which is your own with someone else. The one who exercises this gift, I would say, doesn't just give, but they give sacrificially. Okay, They're, they're giving out of their own how God has gifted them, but then they're, they're giving to a, a certain level of, of sacrifice. Uh, when we think of sacrifice, that, you know, that's not something that we all run to. Um, sometimes sacrifice hurts, and that's the idea here. When Jesus was asked by the multitudes what they should do, um, uh, or when, when John the Baptist, he replied in Luke chapter 3, verse 8, he said, bring forth fruits in keeping with repentance. And then he says, Um, Let the man who has two tunics share, same word, or give with him one who has none. And let him who has food do likewise. And so it has the idea that you're you're willing to give even to your own demise. um, To your own sacrifice. In the opening letter... Of, of Romans here, Paul expressed in Romans 1, 11, you might remember, chapter 1, verse 11, he says to impart some spiritual gift to you. That word impart is this word for giving. Kind of interesting. Uh, in his letter to Ephesus, he makes clear that whether or not a believer has the gift of giving, that we should have a spirit of generosity. That we should be able to give. Ephesians 4.28, it says, Every Christian should labor, perform with his own hands what is good, in order, why do we do this? That we may have something to share. That word share there is this word for giving. With him who has need. Um, and so Paul had elements of generosity in this gift. Or in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, uh, Paul writes... He's, he's talking about uh, ministering there. And he says, after uh, having ministered to them in a relatively uh, short time, it says that Silvanus and Timothy brought them. Uh, he did not come to you in word only, but also in the power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And he continues there, having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart or give to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. So it speaks of that kind of a sacrifice because you become very dear to us. And so he says those who contribute in generosity or liberality, it has the idea of single-mindedness, of open-heartedness, that generosity... Uh, it has, has the idea of heartfelt giving, and it's untainted by any ulterior motive. You're just giving because you have the gift to give, and you want to do, do so liberally. Um, 
The Christian who gives with liberality gives of himself and not for himself. Big difference. Remember Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. Kind of a sobering story. If you don't know what that is, look it up. Acts chapter 5 verses 1 to 10. These two individuals, husband and wife, were struck dead by God for lying to the Holy Spirit. And behind their lie was what? A selfish desire to hold back for themselves some of the proceeds from a sale of property. So what they did is they had a property and they said, oh, we're going to sell this property and give it to the Lord and give all the proceeds to the Lord. And so they sold it for a certain amount, but they kept some of it. Now, if they would have just said they were going to do that, it wouldn't have been a big deal, but they actually lied about it. And then they brought it in front of the people and tried to make themselves look good. Well, God just struck them dead. I mean, see, God takes this very seriously. I mean, Ananias and Sapphira were exceptions in the early church, which was characterized by those who voluntarily possessed all things in common, you read in the book of Acts. They began selling their property, their possessions, and they were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Love to hear a message on that today in our society today. (laughs) You know, I mean, because that's just not what we do. You know, we hoard our stuff. I mean, yeah, we may be generous once in a while. But we're nothing. We're a far cry from what was going on in the New Testament church. And because of the, the situation they were in, all these people were come to Jerusalem to see Christ and all this stuff. They had nowhere to stay. So there were people living on the streets. And, and what the New Testament church was all about was giving these people a place to stay. Giving them food. Giving them substance each and every day. And it had that idea of giving out of a sacrificial heart. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 2 to 5, Paul says, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much <clears throat> entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. See, it's very important that with this gift of giving, you have to understand there's a responsibility. You know, too much is given. Too much is what? Demanded, expected. But when you give, give in a way that's honoring to the Lord. You know, we don't, some people say, well, what's, what's, your, what's your view in your church? How much do we have to give? We don't tell you what to give. That's between you and the Lord. I mean, some churches say, well, the tithe is 10%. Well, actually, the tithe was a lot more than that. So if you want to call your your tithe, you know, it's probably more in the Old Testament around 30, 40%. So you might want to be careful what you're asking for. (laughs) Okay. So, you know, some people use that 10% mark as well. At least I'm giving 10%. The New Testament does not tell us what to give. It says that whatever we give, we should give joyfully and we give unto the Lord. If you can't do that, then don't give. Okay, God's church is a lot bigger than, than your gift. Okay, and God will provide for those churches that are doing his will and being faithful to his word. And I just want to say, I, we're amazed sometimes as we sit down in leaders at the giftedness of this body. We have many people, apparently, within our body who have this gift. The gift of giving. Because we are blown away sometimes when we'll bring a need before the body, whether it's for a missionary or whether it's for somebody within the body. And that need is met usually within the week. And we're not talking sometimes a small amount of money. And it's amazing that, 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 that God has gifted our church that way. We're just a small little church. But you know what? Thank God that, you know, we don't have any debt. We have money in the bank. God has provided these resources for us to use. You know, sometimes... Back when we used to, we don't really do it anymore for legal reasons, but we used to allow people to use the grounds here for whatever, another church or whatever. And not opposed to that, but you just have to be very careful. And they always say, well, how much do we, do you rent your facility for? I said, well, we don't rent it, first of all. It's not ours to rent. It's God's, you know. And uh, the times that we have used, let people use it, we've always said, hey, if you feel led, then... You know, you can send something in the mail or whatever, but we're not going to, 
charge you for something. And trust me, that's a totally different viewpoint than some churches. I mean, some churches are basically marriage factories. I mean, they have a whole list of things. You know, okay, you want to use the auditorium? That's $500. Oh, now, you know, whether you use the pastor or not, that's another $1,000 because he's got to oversee everything. And then if you have the, you have to use our organist, and our organist costs you $750. You know, it's just crazy. And I'm thinking, wow, and they're making good money doing this, you know. But uh, that's not what the church is about. So we don't fall into that. We, we allow the finances and the people to give and to God to oversee that. And I'm just thankful for the team of people that God has put together um, to, to, to oversee that, headed up by Bob and, and just others who are willing to serve in this area. And sometimes the idea of giving can be very touching, you know, touchy to talk about. But you know what? We're called to give generously as unto the Lord. And as long as you're doing that, praise the Lord. Well, the next verse or the next uh, gift here is the gift of guiding or the gift of, of leading. It says the one who leads with zeal. The one who leads with zeal. Uh, this word means to stand before someone. Uh, it has the basic idea of leadership. In the New Testament, it's never used of governmental rulers or um, you know, those in government who oversee the government kind of thing. It's always used of heads of family. In First Timothy chapter 3, verses 4, 5, 12, you see this word. Uh, it's also used of those in leadership in the church. In 1 Corinthians 12, 28, Paul refers to what some believe is the same gift, but he calls it a different name. He calls it the gift of administration. All right? Uh, the helmsman. The one who's kind of guiding the ship. Uh, the person who steers. It's not limited to those offices. But the gift of church leadership clearly needs to belong to those who rule over the church. The elders, the deacons, whoever it might be. Um, and so it's important that we, we realize that. And so it's, it's kind of a... Uh, a gift that you should use with zeal or with diligence. The idea is that there's a certain responsibility that comes along with this gift. You know, you don't just get a free pass here. It has, uh, carries the idea of, of haste, diligence, uh, earnestness. Proper leadership can't be someone who is constantly procrastinating, constantly idle, constantly making excuses for not making decisions. That's not a gifted leader. And you see that whether it's in the church, you see that whether it's in business. You know, a leader basically lays the stuff out and says, okay, how are we going to get from A to B? Let's do this thing. You know, and, and different people are gifted in different ways. And so that's another gift. And then the, the last one here is, is showing mercy. The work of God can be extended by our going, all right? Um, the one who does acts of mercy. It means actively demonstrating sympathy for someone else or having even the necessary resources to successfully comfort someone in need. Um, it has the idea that you're not just sensitive to that, but you're actually willing to go and minister to those people. So a lot of people who have the gift of mercy are people who are, are concerned with uh, people in need. They're concerned with boy, the, you know, people in the third world countries or the homeless. or They just constantly want to minister in this way. Or they're constantly concerned for, for hospital visitation. Or they, they like ministering to people who are, are sick or things like that. You know, there are certain people that are very gifted at that. And there's other people who are not. Um, I've never been in the hospital, but I talked to several people who have been. And sometimes even as a chaplain, I'll deal with people. And they'll say, boy, you know, I had a horrible experience. Someone came by to encourage me. And man, by the time they left, I was more miserable than when they first came in. And I'm the one that's sick, you know. Clearly, somebody like that doesn't have this gift, all right? They don't have a gift of, of, of mercy. So, and it says there to do it with cheerfulness, all right? The council of Job's friends, probably, they did not have this gift. They just drove him into further despair. Um, 
In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 21, it says, He who despises his, his, neighbor's, his neighbor sins, but happy is he who is gracious to the poor. In 1431 of Proverbs, it says, He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who is gracious to the needy honors him. See, the, the key word here is graciousness. A genuine helper always serves with a, a gracious cheerfulness. They don't come with this condescending, patronizing attitude. Okay, I'm here, I'm here, what do you need? You know, that's, that's not how we're called to serve, even as believers, whether you have this gift or not. But the Son of God clearly had this gift big time. In Luke chapter 4, verses 18, and we'll close with this. Reading from the book of Isaiah, Jesus testified of himself. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. I mean, the very incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the idea that he would come down here to earth and live and give up everything that he had in heaven to serve us. What an amazing thing. A.B. Simpson wrote a hymn. And it really depicts our attitude. It says this. Once it was the blessing. Now it is the Lord. Once it was the feeling. Now it is his word. Once his gifts I wanted. Now the giver alone. Once I sought healing. Now himself Alone. I close with that because don't get sidetracked on focusing so much on wanting or desiring certain gifts that that's, that becomes all that all that's about. Because God has already gifted each and every one of us according to His will and His plan and His purpose, and so we just need to make sure that we're faithful in using those gifts that He's entrusted to us. Well, let's close in a word of prayer, and then we'll uh, go get our tractor. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can gather here in this place. And Lord, we thank you for the fellowship that we share as the body of Christ. Lord, thank you that we can come together around the Lord's table.